Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for this special podcast on COVID-19. This podcast provides an opportunity to listen as we share the latest on COVID-19 with our resident experts. My name is Vicki Basiliga, and I am the director of the Section of Clinical Specialists and Scientists here at SHP, and I will be your host. I have the pleasure to be chatting with Martha Roberts, Pharmacy Department Coordinator at Lifespan, and Katie Chernobyl, Clinical Pharmacist at Spectrum Health, about drug excipients and their toxicities. Thanks so much for joining us today. So in the wake of drug shortages, Patients with a high requirement of sedation coupled with an increase in the number of patients who have renal failure due to complications of COVID-19. Pharmacists must be ever vigilant on managing patient medication readiness and monitoring toxicities. That in mind, Katie, why don't you start us off talking a little bit about one of those excipients, sulfobutyl ethyl B-cyclodextrin, or SBECD for short. Yeah, so SBECD is a beta-cyclodextrin derivative, so it is a cyclic allosaccharide that consists of a microcyclic ring that contains various glucose subunits and various substitutions. This molecule is not protein-bound and has a polymer distribution very similar to water. It's often used in intravenous solutions as a solubilizing agent, and mainly it's found in various different medications. A few of them that we want to think about there, which is one of the agents that we currently use in our coronavirus patient population. So what does toxicity look like? Um, and what patients are at most risk for toxicity? Patients that are most risk for toxicity are those that are experiencing renal dysfunction. There has been some previous literature specifically looking at Conazole, which also contains um, SBECD in it. And in each dose of voriconazole, it's about 3,200 milligrams of the solubilizer. So each day a patient would get about 6,400, 6, which is actually a little bit less than what's in the actual remdesivir dose. For risk of toxicity and what does it look like, again, renal dysfunction, so patients can have a rise of serum creatinine, alterations in their electrolytes, and also maybe decrease in their urine output. So um, if we suspect toxicity, how is it managed? And you know, specifically, what should pharmacists be looking at in terms of labs and patient presentation? Yeah, so similar to what I mentioned, we want to evaluate serum creatinine and our lab values, also looking at our electrolytes. Um, If we suspect a toxicity, we should stop the agent if possible, and we could potentially also start a patient on renal replacement therapy in case they are having that severe severity of renal dysfunction. Overall, a lot of the studies found that the risk is overall low. However, it is something that we definitely want to keep in mind and monitor for. How long if you put somebody on uh, CRRT does it take to clear the um, offending agent? Uh, it takes not that long. It actually has a pretty short half-life. So overall, it should only take um, within a couple of days at maximum to actually clear the agent, possibly even faster, depending on how fast you want to start. Great. So let's shift gears a little bit. Martha, can you talk to us a little bit about propylene glycol? Um, what is this excipient? What does it do? And where can we find it? Sure. Uh, propylene glycol, or PG, 
is an alcohol excipient used to solubilize many common medications. It can be found in topical, oral, and intravenous formulations of medications. It is an odorless, colorless, thick liquid with an approximate 100% bioavailability after ingestion. The FDA has classified propylene glycol as a generally regarded as safe additive, whereas the World Health Organization, though, has a noted daily limit of 25 milligrams per kilo per day. For pharmacists, phenytoin is usually the first medication that comes to mind as one containing propylene glycol, since we all know that this limits the infusion rate of an IV phenytoin dose. However, lorazepam has the highest percent volume concentration at 80%, followed by phenobob at 70%, phenytoin and diazepam both at 40%, etomidate at 35%, and nitroglycerin at 20.4. However, propylene glycol can also be found at lower percentages in other injectable medications, including digoxin, esmolol, hydralazine, and sulfamethoxyl trimethoprim but it's not only found in injectable formulations. PG can be found in both lorazepam and diazepam in tensile oral solutions, aprenovir liquid, rifaximin oral tablets, and silver sulfadiazine topical cream. Martha, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, both enteral and IV use, um, especially since a lot of those um, are medications that we're going to be using now, uh, given the shortages that we're using, uh, particularly the benzodiazepine. Can you tell us what toxicity looks like and, again, what patients are at most risk for toxicity? So, uh, if you don't mind, Vicki, I'm going to answer that first question as far as which patients, because to your point with the current COVID uh, pandemic, for those of us who have been practicing in the ICU setting for several years, you will recall that we previously treated most of our intubated patients with continuous infusions of several medications, including lorazepam. And what we ended up finding was that these patients would develop propylene glycol toxicity. However, or not however, in addition, those, that research and work being done by updating the pain, agitation, and delirium guidelines, we moved away from using um, benzodiazepines as a first-line uh, treatment. Now the approach normally is treatment, adequate treatment of pain first, or angle sedation, where we're actually using intermittent dosing of injectable opioids to adequately try to control patient's pain before we would move into benzodiazepine, say, for continued agitation. So we do know with our COVID patients being difficult ones to treat or adequately while they're intubated, and due to shortages in what we've been left with treatment, combinations, we've had actually seen it places where we've had to go back to using lorazepam as an infusion. So with that being said, the patients that are at higher risk are those patients where we've had to uh, use more benzodiazepines, even to the point of a lorazepam infusion, but also keep in mind those other injectable medications that I mentioned that have a high concentration of uh, propylene glycol as well because a cumulative effect can occur setting these patients up for toxicity. And those patients, obviously, in the COVID situation, 
where either they've come in with some degree of hepatic or renal dysfunction, or they've developed it while they're being uh, patients in your ICU, they're at increased or added risk because propylene glycol is 50% metabolized by the liver and then 50% excreted by the kidneys. So both of those major organ systems play a key role in elimination of propylene glycol. So once you suspect toxicity, how is it managed? Um, what should uh, You mentioned anion gap is one of the labs that pharmacists should look for. What else should pharmacists be keeping an eye on when evaluating these patients for propylene glycol toxicity? So you, you definitely want to get a serum osmolality. You want to check your arterial blood glass gases. You want to also check a lactate level. You can, some places, some facilities do have access to propylene glycol levels, but with that being said, they're usually a send-out, so you're not going to get a rapid response. And secondly, the literature does not support a strong correlation between the propylene glycol level and toxicity. But also, um, you want to be checking their uh, renal dysfunction and their creatinine, but Likewise, uh, assisting with maintaining the ABC, so airway compromise can occur because propylene glycol can also cause CNS depression. Tachypnea may result as a compensatory mechanism for acidosis, so trying to optimize the vent settings. Pharmacists need to keep that in mind, that that could be a potential issue from toxicity. And then for some patients, it also can result in hypotension, so then we need to add another medication uh, to deal with that situation. Seizures as a sidebar can also occur with toxicity, and obviously the first line class of drugs that we usually use for seizures are benzodiazepines, but the suggested treatment would utilize midazolam instead, which does not have any propylene glycol in its formulation. And then serum glucose needs to be monitored as well because hypoglycemia can result from TG toxicity. So how would you manage these patients? Uh, stop the offending agent, um, dialyze patients. Um, what is the typical approach? Most of the time, uh, we try to stop the offending agent. So one of the key things is, like, if, for instance, they were on a lorazepam infusion or they were just receiving a lot of PRN IV injection, uh, if the gut GI tract is functioning, then a transition over to enteral formulation of the lorazepam uh, through either an NG tube, that would be suitable. If their acidosis is severe enough, then they may require treatment with sodium bicarb uh, as an IV infusion. At times, hemodialysis may need to be considered, especially if they're already a patient that comes in with poor renal function. Usually removal of the offending agent, especially early on when the pharmacist is doing adequate monitoring, is enough to limit the toxicity without having to go into prolonged treatment with other agents. Katie, let's finish up with cyclodextrin. Can you tell me a little bit about what cyclodextrins are and why some drugs are formulated with its excipient? And then what medications might a pharmacist use that contain this medication? Yeah, so pretty similar to SBECD, um, cyclodextrin is a cyclic um, oligosaccharide that consists of a macrocyclic ring that contains various glucose subunits as well as different degrees of substitution. 
it is often used to increase water solubility and also prevent some drug toxicities from occurring. A perfect example of when they present, prevent drug toxicities are with chemotherapy agents. That's one of the um, examples. But other medications um, to treat COVID patients, again, remdesivir, since SBECD is a derivative, that's an example. We could also be potentially using Sugamidex, which is a paralytic reversal agent, and it's actually a cyclodextrin in itself. Um, what does cyclodextrin toxicity look like, and, and how do we manage it? So very similar to SBECD toxicity, it may, mainly presents as renal dysfunction, so patients can have alterations in their creatinine and electrolytes and also have a low urine output. Also, there's a small amount of patients that could potentially have bradycardia associated with it, and this is more, more found with um, Sugamidex as a potential adverse event. So in order to manage these patients, we would want to stop the offending agent. Um, and de again, depending on the severity of the renal dysfunction, possibly starting renal replacement therapy or fluid resuscitation process. So to wrap up before we leave, there are two questions I usually ask all of my guests. Um, and my first one, um, and Katie, we'll start with you. What are you doing to maintain your well-being and resilience? Yeah, so I... I think especially during a COVID pandemic, uh, the best thing you can do um, to help prevent any type of burnout is to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. So a lot of the things that I have been doing is making sure that I stay active after I get home from work, whether it's going on a run or doing some exercising. Also just maintaining contact with family as well to help promote my well-being and conversations and making sure that I'm taking my care myself from a mental health standpoint and also just making sure that with everything changing in this COVID pandemic making sure as much as possible I stay up to date with the literature the guidelines and if any new information about how to treat these patients comes out. Martha what about you? Uh, I would have to say that I'm pretty similar to um, Katie in the getting when I'm off duty, getting home, getting outside, getting in a walk, uh, working on uh, my flowers and yard, but also if I can get in a short round of golf just to clear my head, uh, that also is, uh, works very well for me as well. So the second question I ask all of my guests is, as we know, one of the ways to combat COVID-19 is to make sure you wash your hands for at least 20 seconds. And a good way to do this is to sing a song in your head. So Martha, what is your favorite song to wash your hands to? Well, I have two grandchildren, which I'm seeing on a limited basis with COVID. So I kind of am stuck a little bit on wheels, the wheels on the bus. So I'll do a couple versions of the wheels on the bus as I'm washing my hands. Katie, what about you? Semi similar to Martha, I have a two and a half year old niece who is obsessed with the song Baby Shark. So I often, that's the song that I think of while I'm washing my hands is that song. That has been a popular one. I've heard that one several times. <laughs> it's just so catchy. It is. <laughs> With all the time we have today, I want to thank Martha and Katie for joining us to discuss COVID-19 and ASHP's efforts to provide pharmacists with the most up-to-date lessons learned and resources. 
I'd like to share some of those resources with you now. Be sure to check out ASHP's COVID-19 Resource Center found at ashp.org, which serves as a clearinghouse for more information on COVID-19 for pharmacy leaders, clinicians, and resources for patients. ASHP is now policy recommendations for policymakers. Ask your legislators to support ASHP's COVID-19 recommendations by sending an email using our online advocacy center at advocate.ashp.org. Be kind to your mind. Headspace is now the exclusive meditation mindfulness app for ASHP members. With Headspace, you can learn the life-changing skills of meditation and mindfulness in just a few minutes a day. Studies show that meditation helps reduce stress, burnout, and healthcare professionals, while boosting happiness, compassion, resilience, and overall life satisfaction. There's Headspace when you visit the ASHP website. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to ASHP's podcast as we'll be posting more on lessons learned and management of COVID-19. I'm Vicki Basiliga, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.